Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson, and today is June 23rd. Well, just ahead, an in-depth interview with the CEO of DocuSign. The company's a lot more than you think. Plus, a weird company that likes pets alive, but other animals dead. And what does a furniture company do when it can't get any furniture? We'll have all that and more, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. But please hit that subscribe button, follow us, and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Well, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks and the Move. Joining me today for a change, our editor, Ben Wilson. He's always here. You just can't always hear him. But Isaac Webster is away. So, Ben, let me tell you the three most important business stories of the moment. Okay, let's start. Well, number one, uh, Mark Calabria who had been the Federal Housing and Finance Agency's head, is out. The Biden administration yanked him. Calabria is no longer the guy. They want their own person in there to fix up this agency. Now, a lot of investors were betting that mortgage giants like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, or not like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, would be returned to the private sector uh, after more than 12 years of government control. But the idea now that Biden wants his own person to oversee the agency that oversees those lending firms means I guess they're going to stay private. Fannie and Freddie, which are regulated by the Federal Housing Finance Agency, the FHFA, they back roughly half of the entire $11 trillion mortgage market. All right, in story number two, Bitmain Technologies. That is the biggest maker of the gear that is used to mine Bitcoin or mine Ethereum, Ether, that is. Well, they have suspended sales of machines for spot delivery globally. That's the machines that they, you know, Order, I want one right now. Well, you can't get any right now from Bitmain. Bitmain's not going to sell anything. They're trying to prop up local prices after crypto markers are abandoning the uh, Beijing-inspired crackdown. They're abandoning mining in China and really worldwide. There's a big slowdown in mining that's taking place right now. Bitmain's trying to keep the price of their stuff up by not selling so much more. They are the world's largest maker, as I mentioned, of Bitcoin machines. And they told the local mining community Wednesday that they'd stopped selling all new equipment after prices for their biggest rigs had fallen 75% since April by postponing their sales. They're just hoping that they can help miners exiting the industry to get better prices for their machines. Sounds like the slowdown in Bitcoin mining has uh, caused a lot of ripple effects throughout the industry. Pun not intended, I'm sure. But there are coins like XRP, which uh, the company Ripple that I used to work for uses. And uh, uh, those coins are coins or tokens, whatever, are not mind they're they're not um uh uh the the constant draw of energy and the constant you need for mining is not necessary for a uh, proof of stake um mine uh token such as xrp all right and finally the third most in business story important business story of the day john mcafee uh is no longer with us. a 75 year old creator of mcafee antivirus software uh has been found dead in his cell in a jail near Barcelona, the Bryant's two penitentiary uh, outside of uh, Barcelona. Um, the, there's rumors of suicide. I'm not going to go there. We don't know what happened. 
but we do know that he was wanted on tax-related criminal charges in the U.S. that would carry a prison sentence of up to 30 years. Um, uh, he was found dead in his cell shortly after a Spanish court issued a preliminary ruling uh, in favor of his extradition back to the United States on those tax-related criminal charges. Um, and uh, John McAfee, one of the most colorful interviews I've ever done in my career, Ben, uh, back when I worked at Bloomberg, we found him while he was on the lam in Mexico or Belize, uh, and we got him on the air to do a, essentially a Zoom call back before we were doing Zoom calls that we had him on Skype trying to explain his case. Uh, it was absolutely weird. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? All right, Patterson Companies. Patterson Companies shares down 11.8% today, but up 53% in the last year. What's going on with Patterson Companies? Well, this is a weird company because they make uh, uh, some products that are used in the agricultural business for uh, cattle and beef, or you know, specifically pork and beef, I should say, uh, animals that have been uh, harvested for their food and other things. They also make products that are used in a veterinary setting for pets. So they like their animals dead and they like their animals alive. Um, but Wall Street, as you mentioned, the stock didn't like the st them at all today, at least. Stock down 12%, um, as though, as you mentioned, up 53% for the last year. And I think what it reflects here is that there was great expectation that they would see the benefit of the return and the, and the rise of the grocery business, which we've seen in, in uh, consumption at restaurants, of course, now coming back as well as, well, just a lot more pets. People bought a lot of pets during the pandemic. Ben, what's your pet situation right now? I have a dog named Billy the Bull Terrier, and she's the most wonderful dog in the entire world. The most, that's the one. I wondered which was the most wonderful dog in the world, and that's the one. Well, but you had that dog before the pandemic. A lot of people acquired animals during the pandemic, and I think that's why a lot of uh, investors certainly expected more out of the company. One might have expected better growth, they just kind of missed the mark. But the CEO, John Wright, did talk about the pandemic puppy and what it meant for the business going forward. He thinks it's just the start. Certainly, uh, the, the market growth change that we've seen uh, in companion animal, you know, due to the increased pet adoption, uh, we expect will we'll moderate, but still represents an overall increase in growth rates from pre-pandemic levels. Uh, look, more pets, more visits, um, and higher demand for companion animal products and services and you know, we we, uh, we believe we're very well positioned to continue to take advantage of that uh, increased demand. And, and we believe our, our recent growth rates in this segment are a testament to that. So they are seeing some growth rates and they think they're going to see a lot more in the future, but it did materialize the way that I think some had hoped it would already. Uh, but, you know, those animals will be around for a minute. Now, Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to take a look at a company called Audio Codes. Audio Codes. Audio Codes is basically flat today, up just 9%. What's going on with Audio Codes? So think about 9% in the context of a market that's up, you know, 30, 40% in the last year, depending on what you want to compare it to. Uh, that's not great, in, in part because Audio Codes is a business that was positioned to benefit from the use of things like Zoom calls, which we've seen a lot of, or Skype calls, or Microsoft Team calls. You name it. They have a, they, at one point, this is an IP company, IP tele telephony company that would do sort of private IP networks for corporations. It's an Israeli company and an interesting one. It's been around for a minute, but lately they've been tied to Skype and trying to move more towards uh, Microsoft teams. And the business hasn't really materialized for them in the way that they had hoped. 
in particular because they're being yes used less for Skype and more for Microsoft Teams. But listen to the CEO kind of talk about how this business has moved from selling hardware and software to really just software solutions based on top of some Microsoft products. Here's CEO Shabtai Aldersberg, the founder and CEO of Audio Codes. We do two things. One, we move more and more to software. Now, let's say one third of our total revenues at the SBC area is software only. You know, so it's very profitable, and that's one of the reasons that gross margin was increasing very nicely. And we not only move to more and more software products and applications. We, as I mentioned in the presentation, we move to provide a solution, an ongoing solution, what we call Microsoft Audio Codes uh, uh, Live for Microsoft Teams, where we are not selling one-time CapEx deal, but we are selling a complete solution to those enterprise customers who would like us to manage uh, Microsoft Teams at their premises. We provide whatever is necessary for this implementation so once again, if they're providing all that, you'd think they'd be doing so great during the pandemic. Uh, but clearly, Zoom was the great beneficiary of all of them uh, during the pandemic, and uh, Audio Codes was not. Corey, what is your next drill down? I love me some furniture business. Let's look at Haverty Furniture out of Atlanta. Haverty Furniture, the company's flat today, up 153% in the last year. What's going on with Haverty Furniture? It's a lot. Well, the furniture business, look, we've been talking about this uh, for quite a bit. Housing market going through the roof, people fixing up the houses that they've already got, and they're buying lots and lots of furniture. We saw it with restoration hardware. We've seen it with a lot of their, or I'm sorry, RH now, but we've seen it with a lot of their competitors as well. And and Haverty having a fantastic year. Um, the CEO spoke at a conference uh, today, and I thought it was kind of interesting thinking about what they're going through. Now, this is a company that just sells furniture. They've got stores throughout the Midwest and the Southeast. Uh, where they, like I said, based in Atlanta, and they sell furniture made by other companies. They they sell a lot of uh, what's known in the industry as case goods, which are sort of basic uh, wooden furniture, bookshelves, and so on, all that stuff imported from China. They've got a lot of upholstered goods, some of them imported, a lot of imported actually from Mexico, um, but they just haven't been able to get stuff to sell, and it's really been hurting them. So they've actually shrunk in the number of hours that they're open, they have fewer employees than they used to because they just don't have the furniture. There's slowdowns in the ports. There's slowdowns in getting containers. And the CEO today, uh, Clarence Smith, talked about just how difficult that is and how long that problem is going to last. You know, the demand has been extraordinary ever since we opened. Um, we have seen terrific orders. Uh, our backlog is uh, three times what it was last year. And uh, we're struggling to bring in the product in. It, it's improving. Uh, we're, we're getting deliveries out because more products coming in. Anything coming in goes almost directly out. We are extended out, uh, not only because of the container issue and the, the, the port issues, but also because of the supplies domestically of uh, foam challenges for domestic upholstery manufacturers and uh, just uh, demand for steel, lumber, those types of things. And foam. We see it improving, but I think because of the container issues and because of the problems with sourcing, that'll continue through probably the rest of the year and maybe in the next year for the for the ports. So 
into next year. That's the first I've heard about the suggestion that there could be shipping problems and container uh, uh, cargo container problems lasting all the way into next year, Ben. Uh, so if you're waiting for that uh, special love seat, uh, at least from Haverty, <laughs> you might have to wait maybe even to the next year. Or we're coming up next. We've got a big interview with Dan Springer, the CEO of DocuSign, uh, an impressive CEO, an impressive company, and there's a lot more than e-signatures. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. And we're back with a drill down our guest, DocuSign CEO Dan Springer. Dan, great to see you, hear you. Of course, listeners can't see you, but I can. You look good given COVID and everything. Thank you. It's good to see you as well. I just had to copy you with the beard. Uh, yeah, well, you wouldn't want to copy the actual COVID beer that I had. It was down around <laughs> my knees. Um, uh, you and I have known each other about a million years. Uh, uh, and the success that you've had at DocuSign, I got to tell you, I've always been a fan. I'm a fan of Keith Kroc, the founder of the company and the chairman of the company. But you guys are crushing it. And the numbers you put up during COVID um, are particularly interesting. And I guess some of it's to be expected, right? People couldn't get somewhere to sign documents. Um and so that that initial driver of the DocuSign business uh, was probably accelerated during COVID. Is it, is the story that simple? Well, I think the DocuSign success, uh, well, as you said, well before I joined, it was clear it was going to be a company that was tremendously successful. Uh, and I think the answer is it just provides a really high ROI, you know, product for uh, for businesses and consumers love it. You know, we just passed a million customers, the people that pay us, but we had over a billion people, you know, have signed our documents. So it was clearly going to be, you know, a force. I do think we had an acceleration to your point uh, as more people moved into what we call the anywhere economy. Right. So some people call it work from home. We say it's not about home. It's anywhere. And as more and more people realized that they needed to bring their business and their solutions to the consumers that use their businesses uh, anywhere. Uh, more and more people use DocuSign. So that acceleration that you're talking about, I think, was attributed to, uh, you know, the COVID for sure. And you certainly see it in the growth rates of the company sort of year over year. The company was growing at a fantastic, you know, high 30 percent, almost 40 percent clip. But that acceleration into this year, um, uh, it's it's interesting to me because I wonder, you know, I, I, I always looked at a lot of the issues with DocuSign's growth as kind of regulatory and industry-wide that companies and, and even localities would have to decide to make e-signatures legal. Is, is that is that a fair way to look at sort of the things that have the slowed the growth of this company or the hurdles you've had to overcome? Yeah, I think in the early days, regulatory was was big. One of the funny things is when people ask about the e-signature act, just using the U.S. as an example, uh, Bill Clinton was president who signed the e-sign act. Oh, so it's been around for a while. But, that, but that's your point. What's really interesting about it is you say, well, that's the first high-level regulatory. But then it wasn't until uh, two months ago that the SEC finally said companies filing a 10K and 10Q 
can do it with an electronic signature. So it's legal, but then is it applicable and usable in every you know use case? And then in different international markets, there are also different legalities. But I would tell you today, Corey, the dramatic construct around regulatory or legal are covered. There's definitely little corner exceptions like the SEC example I just gave you that just got done. But, but in general, we don't have a legality issue, but we still have sometimes a custom issue. And so we'll talk to a lot of attorneys that will tell you definitively this type contract or this agreement can't be done with, with an electronic signature, with DocuSign. Um, and they're probably wrong, but it doesn't matter that they're wrong because that's what they're telling their clients or, or people in their organization. So we still face it a little bit, but I think as we now look forward, uh, particularly the, the pandemic has created this need for people to be able to do things remotely. Uh, and I think that's passed us. So now it's just adoption and getting more use cases uh, out there for each of our customers. I think the use case stuff is interesting, too, because it seems that there are, uh, from a consumer standpoint and even from an enterprise standpoint, there are moments in one's life as a worker, as someone in business, where you sign a lot of documents. And you maybe, with any luck, you e-sign a lot of documents. And then you don't for a while. But it seems that what your business has really um, evolved into is something much more than that. And, and, you know, starting the business podcast network, buying a house getting married, getting divorced, all those fun life moments, uh, you know, those are the moments you get to sign a lot of documents. But you guys have gone to another level with it. So interesting to me, which is, um, you know, you call it the document cloud. Okay, whatever. You can call it the document cloud if you want to. But I think it is interesting that you are going from the moment that a document is signed to really the the stewardship of, of data and information, right? The creation of documents, Yes, the signing of documents, the management of documents and the security of documents in the cloud and the storage of those documents, uh, that business seems to have really exploded for you. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and for us, we think Signature is fantastic and Signature is what brought us to the dance, to your earlier point. And by the way, for the next several years, Signature will be the dramatic majority of what drives our business going forward. And I said, great, customers love it. Consumers love it. The ROI is fantastic. It's great. But we also believe that businesses have come to us and said, we need something broader than that. And what we actually uh, sometimes refer to as the DAC or the DocSign Agreement Cloud uh, is our version of what we think will be the next big cloud opportunity. Now, we got to deliver on that. But we think when you add in functionality like contract lifecycle management, document generation capability, artificial intelligence to sort of do analytics about all of the agreements that we keep you know, for our customers in our repository, that is where we really think that next step is that turns it into a true, you know, new agreement cloud. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, we're, we're ambitious about that, but we have to prove it. And we've proved it with Signature. We have not yet proved the rest of the agreement cloud, um, but we're looking forward to doing that over the next few years. Well, some of the feature sets are super interesting to me, though, like the notion that you can help someone draft a legal document by once they start typing kind of help them populate a document compared to other documents that are similar to that. To, um, that that just strikes me as something maybe lawyers aren't going to love that, or maybe lawyers are going to love that because they'll be using it. But the notion that that you can sort of stand on the shoulders of other people who've done the same kind of work makes the whole world more efficient. I think that's exactly right. And, and to your point, I mean, we actually view this as an enabler uh, for people, in this case, you, you mentioned people with legal expertise, to say, let's just get more efficient uh, with, our, with our time and our work, and let's not do the mundane. So if we can leverage uh, additional agreements. In fact, Analyzer, a key product we just released, I think is even more valuable when new contracts come in, so the attorneys can say, instead of me reading the entire agreement, let Analyzer do its artificial intelligence work and say, here are the four or five clauses that are outside of your standard terms. So let's just pinpoint those right away 
and let you go to work on them. We think those productivity improvements will be positively uh, received uh, by attorneys because they, they don't want to do the, the menial work. They want to do the high value thinking work and they want to focus their time. So we believe there's a lot of opportunity for that. Um, and at the same time, you know, we know the change takes time uh, and we're committed to seeing this through. Well, you know, you say change takes time and who can argue with that except for what we've seen with DocuSign in the last year, right? Where you saw revenue growth, as I mentioned, go from 30s, high 30s, 39 percent to 49 percent for fiscal year 2021. And I wonder if – I wonder two things. If, if that growth rate continues and maybe more interestingly, what are those kinds – what do those new customers look like? What kind of stories were they telling you? I'm sure you've got examples of customers who, who you know, came to you with sort of certain business problems that you were able to solve – uh, I would imagine those are, are informative for other companies trying to deal with the same problems. Yeah, I think so. And it, it was interesting, uh, you know, as you said, we had 49% revenue growth last year, which was amazing. We actually Incredible. just announced our Q1 this year and we had 58% revenue growth. Uh, so, I, so uh, you know, people were concerned that uh, post-COVID or as we're coming out of COVID, that would slow dramatically. Uh, hasn't yet happened for sure. And I think if you look at the growth and the kind of use cases uh, that came up, um, a lot of it was companies who who did things that previous customers had already done. So people came to us and said, hey, you know what? My salespeople can't uh, deliver sales contracts the way they used to. Can't FedEx them to people because there's no one there at the office to receive them. So we need DocuSign, a time-tested you know, tested, uh, and true uh, use case that, that had been around yeah. for years. But it was new to that company because they used to FedEx agreements. But we also had situations that I think are really powerful where people discovered something new. One of my favorite examples was the state of New York. Uh, it's a terrible thing they had to do, but they had to have millions of people receive unemployment insurance. And while that's a tragedy that we have that kind of dislocation, isn't it great that they figured out a way to get those benefits to them right away? Because it used to be you'd go and stand in line at the unemployment office and have someone manually process that. We couldn't have those people working in those offices and <clears throat> didn't want people standing in line. So they had to do that with DocuSign. But the great news is now that they've done that, that group has said, we're not going back. <clears throat> we're not going to go back right. to the inefficient, labor-intensive way of doing this with paperwork and manual processes. And this is where I think the nature of your question really goes. They said, well, what else could we do with DocuSign? Because that's just one use case we're now using. And now what are the other use cases we can use? So we're seeing a lot of people came to us for a very specific reason. They're seeing the ROI and the benefits, in this case of Signature, and now they're saying, what more can we do with DocuSign? And that's what gets us really pumped up about the growth opportunity so we can maintain high growth rates, even though we're going to hit $2 billion of revenue this year. So we're getting to be, you know, sizable uh, yeah. uh, in the business. I'm, I'm reminded of my days at CNBC when I would do a story about unemployment and we'd go to the same old videotape that we'd shot a few years back of unemployment offices that no longer exist because it was all online. But we yeah. didn't use the same video because we didn't have any <laughs> video to run at that moment. It was kind of ridiculous. But uh, it, so as those processes change, how do you as an organization get inside those organizations and say, okay, you like us for this thing. Let's sit down and see other things that we could do. Um, you know, government in particular, difficult place to do that. And during a time of COVID, um, even more difficult to really sit with your customers and say, what other processes are you not thinking about that we can work with you? Yeah, I mean, there's two things we do. Uh, one of them uh, is around the demonstration of what other people have done, quite frankly. And we talked about this, you know, standing on the shoulders model. Uh, we go to, if it's a government agency, and we say, here's what the other government agencies have done. You know, here's what the state of California did that you guys ha aren't doing yet. I'm sitting down actually this afternoon with a very large bank 
and they asked us to do an assessment of how the bank, which is a big DocuSign customer, is using us compared to the other big banks. <clears throat> so we're putting together, we don't share the other individual banks, but we share what they're doing. <clears throat> and we sit down with those executives and we <clears throat> just walk them through and say, this is what it would take <clears throat> for you to get to kind of world-class in your vertical. And then to your specific question about how, how do we do it, we do it just like this, right? We're doing Zoom meetings with them. Uh, we call them EBCs or Executive Briefing Centers, but we don't have them come down uh, the street, you know, where our office is, uh, to the Executive Briefing Center. We do them digitally. And while there's some disadvantages of, of not being face-to-face, -face, I'll tell you there's one advantage. You can get more people uh, and get more, more in and time. more out, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Super Run efficient. Through, and right? then, same, same for the customer though too, right? So if I said to you know the CEO of this large bank, do you want to come to the DocuSign office? I think he probably would demur and say, you know, I'll send my team. But if I say, hey, come join us for the first half hour of this review session, and you can just do it from the convenience of your, you know, your living room, uh, it's a lot easier to get that attendance. So we are actually seeing an increase in the senior people that are showing up in the virtual meetings. That's interesting because we talked to the CEO of a company called Flowtech um, just recently, and and. Uh, John Gibson, great, interesting guy, really interesting company, a company that's going through a dramatic change where they've got new management, they've got some new products and some new technologies for the oil and gas industry. And their contention usually is, is you know, it's the oil and gas business. You sell over steak and bourbon, and until the restaurants <laughs> are open, until we can get our sales guys on planes, we can't tell them this story and they, they don't want to hear it. We can't get those meetings as easily as we can in person. Um, are you going to get your sales staff back out there or are the – operations within DocuSign changed forever. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing. A lot of our enterprise salespeople are chomping at the bit. And <clears throat> we had an all-hands meeting this morning, actually, the company meeting. And that question came up from multiple people. When can we get back out and see customers? Uh, so I think the answer is we will <clears throat> be back out and see our customers, not just from a sales standpoint, but from a customer success standpoint as well. And at the same time, I think the world's changed and it's not going back to the old normal. There'll be a new normal. Um, you know, one of the things that's really important to us is, is our environmental position. And of course, you know, we, we like to think of ourselves as a company that saves paper and therefore saves trees. And that's why I launched, you know, with Jane Goodall, that initiative for DocuSign for Forests uh, at Davos two years ago. <clears throat> we are committed to reducing our carbon footprint. So we are going to say, hey, what have we learned that's going to allow us to limit our travel, put fewer people on planes, because I think it is, you know, a real imperative for everyone in business today to do that. And so, you know, will, will we go to zero travel? Absolutely not. You know, we will have uh, our employees out visiting customers as appropriate. But I'll tell you where I think the biggest change is going to be. <clears throat> We're going to say we had a lot of internal uh, team meetings where we flew people you know, all over the world to get together. And I think we're going to ask ourselves, do we really need to take people away from their families that much? Do we do we really need to you know do that much carbon production uh, on planes to get people here? Uh, and I think the answer is we're going to change DocuSign. We're we're going to pull back on that. I would think that business of sitting with those customers, as you mentioned, sitting with the bank and everything else, has got to be super interesting. It's really sort of MBA level. How can we change a business process of a business that we're not in? Um, it's got to be a blast. You know, sitting with our customers and talking about how they can transform their businesses, you are spot on, Corey. It's one of the most fun parts of, of the business for me uh, because I actually think you get to be, you know, reminds me of my McKinsey consulting days a little bit. You get to look at each of those individual cases and see what their opportunities are. But the fun part about this really particularly for me is that I feel like we walk in the room and we've got a stacked deck of opportunities that we know work at other similar companies. And so you kind of get to be a little bit of a hero. You know, you get to show up with the goods 
And because again, the ROI is so incredibly high on our business for enterprise, if they pay a dollar incrementally for DocuSign, we think they get about $35, $40 worth of value. Um, and so it's nice to be able to show up with the goodies and uh, a little like Santa Claus and feel like you're helping uh, as <laughs> you help them think, like, through their, uh, <laughs> think through their business problems. It's because your beard, like my beard, is whiter than it used it, to be back in it the day. It is a little bit of dark Santa. still above here. The rest of it is white, but you're right. <laughs> Um, let, let me, you know, let me ask you finally about cities, right? So we were talking about sort of the change that your business and others has wrought on the ability to do work from from afar, not having to travel, and maybe not having to be in cities. You know, you and I met playing basketball maybe 20 years ago in this city of San Francisco. You live in the city of San Francisco. Your offices are in the city of San Francisco. I take this podcast either here in San Francisco or across the bay in Oakland, and yet we see these cities really suffering during covid what do you think these the change towards a more digital uh, business environment means for cities going forward? I think it means very little. And what I mean by that is I don't think there's going to be nearly as much change uh, as a lot of people think. Um, you know that task, you're always supposed to come up with something that you feel strongly about that you think most people would disagree with? Well, yeah. I think today my, my answer to that one would be uh, I believe that uh, there's not going to be a big exodus from our cities, particularly the tech uh, centric cities like San Francisco. Uh, and I think that it's overblown dramatically right now. Uh, there's a lot of good examples that people have about a friend they know that's moving to Austin and got nothing against right. Austin. But the answer is people are going to want to be in New York. People are going to want to be in San Francisco. People are going to want to be in Boston. People are going to want to be in Seattle. And uh, there's a couple of reasons. One, uh, I do think the concentration of talent, and that's everything from the engineering talent to the financiers, uh, is still going to be in those cities. And I think the other big thing that people miss a lot is that the, the engines of growth are going to be our young people. And the young people socially want to live in those dynamic cities. And that's happening. It's been a trend that's been happening for 25 years around the world. There's been a dramatic move of population into the cities. And I don't think the fact that we've had a pandemic uh, is going to change all of that. And that, that secular change is going to continue to happen. And so I, I actually am super bullish uh, on San Francisco. And I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be less than a year from today, Corey, that everyone's going to see, you know what, this was a little bit of a, of a one time blip and that longer term momentum back to the key cities is going to uh, continue. I 100 percent agree with that. And I think that actually I think the neighborhood around where your offices are, that south of market region in San Francisco has been so much building in the last five years or so. It's going to be one of the most uh, um, vibrant examples of that. I certainly hope so. Dan, so good to see you. So good to talk to you. I uh, appreciate your time here on the drill down. We'll keep an eye on what's happening with DocuSign. Thanks for having me, Corey. All right. Well, up next to the drill down, that, that bite, that number that tells us a whole lot. Dan Springer tells us DocuSign is growing up to nearly a million customers at the end of the last quarter. Customer growth is at a, at a 42% uh, compound annual growth rate over the last eight years. But enterprise and commercial customers are growing even faster than that, 54% rate. So the question is, the number is, what is the percentage of DocuSign customers that are enterprise and commercial customers? We'll have that number, that bite, right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. People ask me how they can help the drill down. Well, I'll tell you what, you can listen to the podcast on lots of platforms over and over and over again. So start with iTunes, go to Spotify, move on to tune in, maybe throw in a little Stitcher, some Pandora, say, hey, Alexa, play the drill down podcast. 
these things can help, or you could leave a review on any of those platforms. Let the rest of the world know how much you enjoy the drill down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Okay, so the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. We told you that the enterprise and commercial customers are growing faster than the 42% growth rate of all the customers at DocuSign, a 54% rate. Well, they're up to 136,000 customers. I told you we're going to tell you the percentage. 14% of the customers of this company, DocuSign, are in fact enterprise and commercial customers who, of course, spend more than the individuals. Great, big, growing business, much bigger than I thought it was going to get to at this point in time. We appreciate your time listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down's a production of the aforementioned Business Podcast Network.